Today's episode of The Beat is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. to another episode of The Beat here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm Nick Bumgarner, of course, joined by Brendan Quinn, remotely, of course, social distancing as we continue on uh, here in uh, 2020. Interesting times. Brendan, we've got a guest today. Interesting you want to introduce times us is to a way our, uh... to put it. Those are words <laughs> to say. <laughs> Do you want to uh, introduce us to our guests that we've got here today? I would love to. Uh, the great Colton Pouncey, our resident Michigan State beat writer, uh, younger, more handsome, more talented, <laughs> uh, big bright things ahead, not a has-been like us, so we are, uh, first time on the show, right, Colton? Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm truly an honor to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> that was a great intro and a great introduction. So, Colton, tell, uh, tell the people uh, on our show, I know you, you and Chris Vanini do your Michigan State podcast, uh, and you guys have your your show there, but tell the folks on our show a little bit about uh, about yourself, uh, your background, your favorite things in life, where you come from, the whole the whole shot. Yeah, uh, so I am a Chicago guy. Um, went to the University of Missouri. Um, worked in Nashville for a little bit. Um, you know, covering small FCS school called Austin P that no one really knows about, but also some uh, general assignment sports out there. Um, got a call from Craig Cousins in 2018 like I want to say March 2018 asking me if I'd be interested in covering Michigan State um, I was a year out of school at that time looking to make a jump and uh, I think our views on sports coverage kind of aligned perfectly um, read read up on the writers of the like Detroit loved everything that they had to offer and came on board June of 2018 I think that's when I started so this fall, if we if we do have football to play, uh, that will be my third season on the beat, and uh, yeah, it's been fun so far. Now you know that uh, I think both of us have probably been to Clarkville, where Austin P is located. Brandon, you yeah, been, right. have you been there? You've I been have, there, right? I have. I yeah. when I lived yeah. in where? How far is that from Murfreesboro? Uh, I don't know, Colton. How far is that from Murfreesboro? Like Forty-five minutes to an hour. Yeah, yeah. I've I been remember to both. spending some time there and Murfreesboro. <laughs> Doing, I don't even like high school shit when I was at the New Sentinel. Um, yeah. 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 Now I have a question, Colton. So, yeah. you do you live here alone in Michigan, in, in East Lansing? Yeah, yeah. I got a two bedroom place. Luckily, college towns are cheap, so I got a two bedroom place. <laughs> I'm in my office right now, which I barely use anyway, except for podcasts. But uh, yeah. I'm so, how you doing? <laughs> that's a better that's a question. Great question yeah uh i've been looking for ways to keep myself busy i actually okay. went on Am- i went on amazon on sunday and i bought like a papa shot you know the basketball like arcade game i bought yeah. i bought one of those for this room since there's a ton of space in here 
Uh, that should be arriving today, so I think that'll keep me busy for a little bit. It's sound so, investment. So, Perfect. Yeah. So Colton Colton has turned his uh, apartment office into a basketball court. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it appears at this point, which is... Day whatever you know, you got to do what you got to do. So I, yeah. I have, you know, I have thought that as my house turns into chaos, I have thought about people like Colton who are alone in their home <laughs> without anyone else there. Uh, what I mean, what are you playing? Are you playing Xbox in your downtime? What are you watching Netflix to death? What are you doing? I got a PS4. Uh, I've been playing. Oh, PS4. You're a PS4 guy. I'm a yeah. PS4 guy. Yeah, I've been playing uh, Fortnite with the buds back home. Uh, it's been getting me through. Uh, my neighbor actually out here, uh, Seth Wells. He works for WLIX. Uh, oh yeah, sports guy out here. So I've been, you know, social distancing a little bit with him. Met up with him a couple times, staying six <laughs> feet apart. You know, but uh, yeah, it's been pretty routine, honestly. Like. I work from home anyway, so like my life hasn't changed a ton. You know, we're in the off season for college football, but uh, it, it it can get a little tough sometimes, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. So we figured today uh, we did actually. Colton and I just got off. Uh, Michigan State did a teleconference with um, Jay Johnson, Scotty Hazelton. Jay Johnson, of course, Michigan State's new offensive coordinator. Um, Scotty Hazelton, the new defensive coordinator. So we'll get into some Michigan State football today. Uh, we did the uh, we published the seventy one thoughts on the uh, seventy one scholarship players that would have been in camp if they'd started spring practice. I know Brendan, uh, are you going to do that as well? With who, you're doing that with basketball as well, right? You're doing uh, you did that today. You did it today already. That's right. Yeah, right? I did Michigan State today. I have Michigan coming. I think tomorrow. Hopefully tomorrow. Yeah. So. Uh, Michigan State episode today, all the way around. So, Colton, let's first let's let's start with um, with Mel Tucker in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been what about a month, maybe a little bit longer than that since Mel Tucker's been the coach, and obviously he's dealing with everything now that everyone else is dealing with, which is unprecedented. But um, you know, your impressions of of the Mel Tucker hire, uh, you know, sort of after everything sorted itself out, where it landed, um, you know, sort of what were your thoughts on on the whole situation? Yeah, it was funny, you know, after Luke Fickle kind of turned MC down there, um, I was on Jack Elbing's show and he asked me where I think MC should turn from here because some of the names that were being tossed out, just they weren't going to excite anyone at Michigan State. Um, so I said they should circle back to Mel Tucker, ask him what he wants and give it to him. Yep. Um, and apparently that same day, that's exactly what was happening uh, behind the scenes. Um, so, I mean, all along, you know, he was a guy that made sense. You know, he has some Michigan State ties as a grad- graduate assistant um, under Nick Saban. Um, he's been a Big Ten guy, an SEC guy, NFL guy. So I think you look at his resume and it seemed like he was ready for a job like this. Um, it was kind of like a matter of time. And Colorado, yeah, only one year there. But I think he was kind of – you could see what was coming. You know, he was recruiting well um, at a level that Colorado hadn't seen in a while. Um, I think he's going to bring that to Michigan State a bit. Well, at least more than D'Antonio did. You know, recruiting got a little stale towards the end of his tenure. So I think Mel Tucker's already kind of pumping life back into that. Um, a lot more active on Twitter, something I've noticed, than D'Antonio. He he's is tweeting every day. Active, yeah. I think he did, like, a live Q&A, uh, just answering random questions. And he's actually been, like, clapping back to some Colorado fans that are, like, calling him a snake <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> so uh, he's going to be a little bit more active than D'Antonio was there for sure. Um, and honestly, I just think it was time for a change, you know, uh, in a perfect world, maybe D'Antonio retires in um, late November or December, says, hey, I, the bowl game's my last game. They kind of go out. He rides off into sunset with a 7-6 season. Um, and then they kind of start that process or, you know, begin that a little earlier than they could have because it kind of pushed Mel Tucker's timeline back a little bit. And obviously, you know, the current pandemic is not helping him either. But, you know, I, I think it was a disadvantage to kind of start that search a little bit later in February. But... Um, he seems to be hitting the ground running as much as he can. 
Right. So anyway, obviously, we all were here during the uh, Mel Tucker coaching search. Um, and actually, Brandon Colton did text me. I want to say it was like the Friday. That thing was like D'Antonio quit on like a Tuesday and it went into a weekend and then it got finished on the other side of a weekend. I can't remember the exact days now. It's been like 70 years, it feels like. Colton did text me on like that Friday that he thought Mel Tucker would be a good uh, a good hire. Um, as we watched this whole thing unfold, and you knew a little bit about this yourself, uh, what were your what were your sort of thoughts? I think we have touched on this a little bit, but I want to get your thoughts here, Brennan, again on just sort of the process from uh, as you saw it um, through that coaching search, which is super awkward at a place that uh, you know you cover quite a bit with basketball. That is obviously, as we know, is really intertwined with everything they do. Yeah, the the interesting thing is there's always going to be it's there, there's always these stages. It's like the stages of grieving, the stages that come with every coaching search. I feel like from the the public uh, perspective, where it's like excitement over possibilities, followed by weariness over is this taking too long, followed by mm-hmm. absolute panic, followed by concession, <laughs> followed by we're screwed, followed by the hiring of a coach and either elation or convincing yourselves that it'll be okay. So when uh, watching this happen within the, not only that timeline, but also like the physical timeline of when it happened in the year and just how Mm -hmm. it was not opportune at all. I felt like all of those stages were just rapid, uh, ratcheted up and it just happened so much faster and uh, very fascinating to watch. I don't know anything about Mel Tucker, but I can tell you the funny story about the night that it went down. Do you remember that, mm-hmm. Colton? Yes, because I was at the I was at the Michigan State yeah, Illinois right. game that <laughs> night uh, in the media room. I obviously I'm writing about like I don't even know what the hell I wrote that night, but I'm in the media room and uh, in our Slack channel, I see Feldman. You know, and some uh, there's some chatter. Okay, here comes Mel Tucker's going <laughs> right. There's some there's some tweets out there, and I'm just watching this as like a spectator sport because I'm watching all the other beat writers lined up against the wall. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I guess uh, Hondo had the tweet, and then Feldman had the tweet, and then you just just you just saw people start kind of scattering around a little bit. Everyone's <laughs> reaching towards phones, and uh, to watch a coaching search but not be the one covering it just. That's incredible. It's just, that's that hands to press together prayer uh, emoji, whatever. Yeah. That was, yeah. That Praying, hands emoji. yeah. <laughs> Praying hands emoji. Uh, Praying hands. Colton, this was number one for you on the coaching search ledger. Yeah. I think uh, I think I lead the group with like 107 in my uh, illustrious career. But what I, I always ask everybody after they've gone through them, um, what did you learn? What What about the what What surprised you about a coaching search um, that you'd never because you you know that was the first one you've covered up close. I would say that. What what surprised you? And then, um, you know, if anything, and then maybe what did you uh, take away from it? Just from the perspective of how we do our jobs and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think you kind of have to take it day by day because there's always going to be new information that comes up and you kind of have to filter through what's real and what's not. And that's something that you and I talked about throughout the search because mm-hmm. a lot of misinformation out there. It was kind of right. a messy coaching search at Michigan State this time yep. around. Um, so I think taking it day by day and kind of like reaching out to people and trying to get a sense of what's real here and what's not. And, you know, they're not always going to tell you everything. They're not always, always going to get back to you, but you got to make the effort and you got to try to do your best to kind of, you know, differentiate what's real and what isn't. So I think that's the first and foremost thing, I guess. Um, I, I, I also think I was surprised how many twists and turns the thing took. Um, yeah. 
it was, it was pretty wild when you think about it. You know, like day two, you have Pat Narduzzi tweeting out like a very bad Wolf of Wall Street. Like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> like that video. <laughs> that was like day two of the search. So it's like, all right. It might have been day one. It might have been like an hour into it. And he was like, I'm not going anywhere. It's like, well, no one asked. Okay? <laughs> like, you know, just like, sit still. Honestly. Don't worry about it. Um, and, and that's that's half the battle, though, right? I mean, that's half of it. It's like you get these guys who are like, I'm not interested. It's like, well, no one really asked. Yeah, but, it's like, okay. how involved were you in this to begin with? Or are you just doing that to make yourself look better <laughs> yeah. at your own school? You know, there's that. And, um, you know, then you got people, fans and stuff, tracking flights, which probably shouldn't be yeah. happening in 2020. But, you know, that happened at Michigan State. And it got to a point where people were, like, zooming in on, like, Luke Fickle's shoes to see if they were the same yeah. shoes that were of someone coming out of a flight and things like that. So that stuff was, like funny to me to see like msu twitter just going wild on that but meanwhile we're here trying to like see what's real and what's not and everyone's just kind of like picking up whatever and trying to run with it so uh now that was certainly interesting brandon you have no idea how excited i was that colton became a member of the go to the airport during a coaching search <laughs> hell yeah in 20 because like i thought those days were over absolutely like absolutely. i thought those days had been we, we i thought we left those days back in like 2012 well, yeah, because well, even know, earlier, it, it even was earlier. the the days of the uh, you know career college administrator or yeah. the coach turned administrator who's kind of running his athletic department, you know, like a uh, little bit of a wild west, and he's got his buddies over here and they're leaking stuff, and you know the the <laughs> the, the booster who's playing for the plane is leaking shit, and the guy who can actually is going to cut the check, he's leaking stuff. Like it, in 2020, you think of it as far more of a like yeah. professional operation where there are these right. these people who this is the job they do. They are the search firms and all of the ADs are now coming from a more corporate world and kind of just different mindsets and stuff like that. And then you get a search like this and lo and behold, it's it was like 1995 out there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Colton, Colton uh, I believe, ran from one end of the airport to the other and fell. Is this correct? Or did you do this on the runway? Like, can you paint a picture of right. your day at the airport for us that takes? Before we get into the team, I got to, you, you got to, you got to talk about this. <laughs> all right. All right. We can get into this. Um, so I showed up uh, probably like 20 minutes before the plane was scheduled to land. And I was kind of sitting in my car, just chilling. I saw some other reporters that were already outside. I was freezing outside so i stayed my ass inside um so finally like we see the plane start to land um and i was i went from the far right side of uh the lansing airport out here i saw it land on that side i'm like all right cool i'm in perfect position all these idiots on the other side and then i see it <laughs> keep keep moving and moving and moving and i'm like this is not gonna work and i see graham who's even further like to the right of me and he parked his car over there because he's a genius. And he gets in his car and just, like, drives to the other side. So I'm like, okay, I just got to sprint my way through this. So I'm sprinting from one end to the other. And I'm going through, like, uh, the, the pickup area. And then I look to my right and I see Matt Wenzel in his car. And he's driving by. He didn't even stop to give me a ride on the oh, way there. Oh, I did not hear that. <laughs> Wenzel! Yeah. Oh, no! What an so, asshole. So finally I get there. I'm winded because I haven't worked out in years. And I finally get up to the, the gate. And we see them all get out and everything. It was fine. And we saw like Beekman, Alan Haller, and everyone that was involved. And then they're going inside. So we're relocating to try to get some interviews from them. And it was kind of like up on a hill where this gate was. And so as we're all like sprinting to go follow them, that's when I turned around and I like fell. And I slid down <laughs> this hill like right on my back. And again, I'm going to call Matt Wenzel out because he was, he was right next to me. And like saw me like beginning to fall, and I the way I described it, it was like the episode of The Office where like 
Jim doesn't pond. save Mike, oh, Michael yeah. from the koi pond. And yeah. that's basically what happened with me and Wenzel. So I fell in the snow. I was all over my pants. And I get back to the area and we're waiting and no one ends up coming out. So it wasn't worth it. How many, how <laughs> many people saw this? I would say like five. Five people. Thank God. It wasn't more. But <laughs> Was it all media or did like Bill Beekman get a good look at like your ass crack when you're trying to get off the floor or anything? I, I don't think Beekman saw, um, but uh, I'm sure he would have had a good laugh at that. But yeah, I think it was just most of the reporters. I'll bet. I'll like bet. And, and for the record, we love Matt Wenzel. He's a great, of course. He's a great, great guy. Great guy. <laughs> but I'll bet Wenzel had a pretty good chuckle uh, yeah. in his oh, rear view mirror as he tried no, to Wenzel, 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 Wenzel's firmly on the athletic shit list. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I threw my hands up. He's like, sorry, I didn't see you. I was like, you definitely did. We made eye contact. <laughs> That's awesome. But, yeah. That was, that and then Graham, too, of course. You know, Graham's not getting out of that car. No, you know, he's just going to he's gonna take a lap around the airport. He's not going <laughs> to sure. get out and run. Yeah. <laughs> and we love Graham, too, of course. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so as we go forward here, Michigan State football, um, we talked to Jay Johnson. We talked to Scotty Hazleton. Um, before we get into this, Brendan, you got anything else for Colton pre-roster breakdown here? Um. No, you're good. Okay, so let's here we get go. into this. I actually, I read, I read seventy one blurbs. I've been, I read up <laughs> some of Colton's recent stories. I have, uh, I forgot most of it, but I'm on board with yeah. talking some MSU football here. So Jay Jay Johnson is the offensive coordinator, and he's been with Mel Tucker for a minute here. Um, they got together when Mel was Kirby Smart's defensive coordinator. Jay Johnson was um, an analyst at Georgia. Then he took him to Colorado with him. And was the OC there? Uh, overall, though, Jay Johnson actually, you know, I think I probably told Colton this. Um, you know, from our perspective of like internally in, in the state here, uh, when I was trying to think back on who he kind of reminded me of in terms of his career path, it reminded me of um, Jed Fish, who was with Michigan for a minute, and uh, that you know when he got to Michigan, he'd been all over the place. He'd been to you know a ton of different places. He'd, he'd worked with a lot of different quarterbacks and a lot of different styles, you know, body types, everything else. And that's what Jay Johnson's been like. I mean, he's worked in a ton of different offenses with a bunch of different players, a bunch of different quarterbacks. He was a quarterback himself. Um, you know, and, and and when you listen to him talk about quarterbacks, Colton, I think that there's a couple things that stand out. Um, but number one on the list is, you know, their understanding of everything that's happening within an offense has to be uh, outlined to them. They have to be in charge of everything that's going on. They have to understand the whole, you know, every concept of what a defense is throwing at them and everything else. So he's really... You know, I think it's interesting when you see new quarterback coaches come through because we see it all the time. Uh, I tend to lean toward the guys who've been all over the place as the ones who sometimes have an easier time of helping, you know, get get kids to trust them in the first in that early, early stage. Now, we'll see how it works with this, you know, with with layoff. But it's it's been intriguing. Um, You know, Colton, what's your impression of Jay Johnson? What's, What's your thoughts on sort of. You know, what we've heard from him so far, you know, I know we've looked back at, at what he's done in the past, but sort of w- what's your take on, you know, sort of his sort of fit in this and then maybe how it's going to go uh, as they go forward? Yeah, well, first of all, he dropped uh, things of that nature during his uh, he did. call. Which brought, that, <laughs> that brought me back a little bit for a second. Um, but I, I think Johnson is, you know, I, I wasn't, I don't think there's anything that he said today that was too groundbreaking, but he did kind of lay out some of his philosophies. You know, he said he wants to be multiple on offense. And, you know, he said he wants his quarterback meetings. Um, you know, actually, Rocky Lombardi, he took over MSU's football's uh, Instagram page a couple of days ago and was kind of um, filming different things of his day. And he had, like, the quarterback meetings going on on a one slideshow of it. And so, you know, I, I think it's things like that. You know, he wants 
his quarterback meetings to be like board meetings and he wants everyone mm-hmm. to kind of contribute and like you said he wants every the quarterback to know every aspect of the offense and yeah. be able to teach it to different positions as well so i th- i think that's the first thing um but uh he also mentioned that the tight end is the mvp of what they want to do and i think some of that goes back to his background at minnesota and things like that but uh I don't know. Yeah, I think Jay Johnson is a guy who kind of gets it. And I think he another thing that I've noticed just, you know, watching film and things like that is he looks to get his playmakers the ball in space, which wasn't always the case in Michigan State the last couple of years. Um, I know, Nick, you're going to talk about more of the, the quarterback and uh, that role in the offense and what he looks for. That was a question that you asked. But uh, that, those are my kind of initial takeaways from Johnson. Tournaments have been canceled. Leagues are suspended. There hasn't been a live game on TV in what feels like a year, even though it's barely been more than a week. There's no better reminder of how important sports are to our lives than to take them away completely. But The Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers out there. And in these very strange, very uncertain times, they are still hard at work doing excellent reporting, telling unique, engaging, informative stories. Like the one about Brazilian soccer legend Ronaldinho being in a Peruvian jail right now. Or how, to, or how the situation between Todd Gurley and the Rams was beyond repair or how minor league baseball players are getting financial support from their big league counterparts. Locally here in Detroit, we've got a bunch of stuff that we've written over the last week and a half, two weeks, uh, whether it comes to 70 thoughts on Michigan football players, 71 thoughts on Michigan State football players. We've got the best NCAA tournament game I've ever seen. We've got Lions free agency stuff. We've got all sorts of stuff going on right now at The Athletic in Detroit nationally on the college football side, nationally on the college basketball side, and any other sport you could imagine. It's during times like this that The Athletic can help you keep connected to the teams, athletes, and sports that you love. Sign up now to see for yourself, uh, see the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash collegebeat, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Games aren't, aren't being played right now, but the stories that draw us to all sports, those don't go away. So go to theathletic.com slash collegebeat for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Yeah, and Michigan State's quarterback situation is really one of those interesting ones uh, in the first year of a, of, a, of a coaching tenure in that there's nobody on the team that has any, you know, real what we'll call extended starting experience. I mean, Rocky Lombardi started a handful of games and, and played in, in a handful more, but that's really it. Yeah. Um, and, and when you look at those situations, you know, a lot of times I think people just sort of default at the, well, you know, this guy was sort of picked to be in line at this time, so it's probably his turn, and, you know, he's just going to get the job. And, you know, my experience with that over the years in different programs, and every program is unique and you never know, is that all preconceived notions about how, what the order was <laughs> or may have been you know, before this new coach or new regime comes in, it should be gone. And, and and that's not to say that it won't be Rocky Lombardi coming out of it. Um, but it's it's it, it's impossible for us to guess on that without seeing them on the field or you know what have you, because no one has seen that happen yet as they haven't had spring practice. But yeah. you know, for even for a guy like Peyton Thorne, who's a redshirt freshman, and especially for Theo Day, um, this is it. Like, th- there's so many guys on this roster you know, across the board, you know, on offense and defense that are, because Michigan State has probably more, I will say, they have a handful more of, you know, young players who are pretty talented and pretty interesting, maybe more than people realize, but they also have a lot of older guys on this team that have been sort of like eating around the edges of whether or not they're going to take hold of a job and, and not yeah. let go. And, you know, are you in the same boat on that, Cole? I mean, because for me, there's a lot of guys on both sides of the ball, but we're sticking offense here. There's a lot of guys that it's like, and Connor Hayward coming back is a great example, okay? 
Connor Hayward's you lost your job, right? Like you lost. I mean, yeah. Elijah Collins is not giving up his job. I mean, he was a thousand yard back more or less last year. Um, and there's just a lot of guys on that side of the ball, offensive line, everywhere else, that it's like this is a huge opportunity for them to to a impress a new staff, but also for b to to hold off a younger player and to grab a job. Because if you get passed, if you're like a junior and you get passed by a sophomore, in the cold reality that we live in in, in college athletics, like that that sometimes means you're done. Like th- that's kind of like you, you've lost your spot. So. Am I this? Am I am I making that up on my own, or do you, no, you kind of hear the same? I hundred percent agree, and I think this is the year for a lot of those upperclassmen that have failed to lock down a job at this point. Yeah. You know, we saw especially with the offensive line last year, and part of it was due to injury, and injuries have been a factor there the last two years. But I mean, honestly, when you got three true freshmen coming in that are starting games, that says a lot about your depth there and about the upperclassmen mm-hmm. that you have there at that position. Um, you can say the same thing with, with some receivers, like C.J. Hayes probably got passed up by some younger players there at wide receiver and. You know, obviously Connor Hayward is, is back for some reason. We'll see how he fits in this <laughs> offense. But, but uh, Con- you know, Elijah Collins is not going anywhere. I think they're trying to use Anthony Williams a lot. I know the previous yep. staff was, you know, trying to use him in that hybrid were- running back wide receiver role. So I think they were trying to find spots for a lot of younger guys. And I think, you know, we've talked about this. The 2018 and 2019 classes are going to probably carry this team uh, for the next couple years until they're ready to star. But... I think you're looking at a few guys like Antoine Simmons, obviously, you know, Jacob Panashuk has been a contributor. You know, there are some upperclassmen that are, you know, locked down spots, but it's kind of been a disappointment a little bit in terms of what they were expected to do when they first came here and where they are now. So mm-hmm. I think it's a prove it year for a lot of those upperclassmen. So I have a question about the offense. When you guys look at the quarterback spot, is it when I look at the guys who are there, I don't see any explosive talent jumping out right where you're just like well man this guy's just raw just pure talent you can just throw him out there and let him kind of sling it around it seems to me like when i look at the makeup of the three options Mm -hmm. here it's it's game manager ranking probably is that just this just the safest bet is the guy who gets the job as opposed to the playmaker who can actually maybe steal a win Colton, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the three options here, I'm not sure there's a guy that's going to, you know, make the rest of the roster better. At this point in time, it's probably too early to tell with a couple of these guys. You know, we've seen Rocky Lombardi, you know, he started some games in 2018, and he had a great game against Purdue and kind of struggled the rest of the season when Brian Lewerke was injured with the shoulder. Um, this past season, Lewerke was the guy for much of the season, really wasn't questioned in any way, which I thought there might have there should have been a little bit more push from the backups right. there, but that didn't happen. It didn't materialize. Um, Rocky, I think his stats last year were seven of twenty-one with a couple of interceptions, and obviously that's a small sample size, but it doesn't really excite you knowing that he could be the top option going into twenty twenty. Um, Theo Day had two or three passes the entire season as a sophomore, a redshirt freshman. Um, so I, I think you look at him, and it's like, yeah, he's he's six foot five. He's a big guy. He's got a strong arm, but. What has he really done? It, it, it clearly hasn't shown up in practice. Otherwise, he would be getting some more opportunities. So I think that was something Mark D'Antonio and Brad Salem kind of alluded to a bit without actually saying it, that he needs to kind of step up here. And maybe a fresh start will be good for him. Um, but again, it, it'll be about how the new uh, offensive staff kind of evaluates the situation. They don't have a lot of time to do that now. Um, Jay Johnson was very complimentary of Peyton Thorne. And he's a guy that you hear good things about. You know, he's the the son of a of a Division three uh, head coach at North Central. His dad won a national championship this year. Um, so I think he's had that in his blood 
since he was a kid. His grandfather was also a coach, so he kind of knows the position and knows how to play it. Um, so I, I think you're looking at him as he's probably not physically ready. He's going to have to bulk up. He's pretty thin. Um, mm-hmm. But those are your three options. And when you look at it at a glance, you know, that's why people were saying, should they go out and get a you know, graduate quarterback? And some of that can yeah. kind of be a stopgap for a year until some of these younger guys are ready to go. Or is Rocky going to really take that job and run with it? Um, I, I think that's still to be determined. And uh, is, is some, there any yeah. is there another wave of guys coming available transfer wise? So we don't know. It's tough I mean, at this point. Everything's so wonky. Yeah, yeah. We don't we don't really know what what all that's going to look like. Um, and it, it and we don't know you know when they're going to be able to have a if they're going to be able to have a spring right. session in right. like yeah. July or something. No one knows. Um, but with that. Like if they're obviously it's your it's your preferred situation to have a quarterback an established quarterback returning to be your starter. Like everyone would prefer that as a coach. But if there's a silver silver lining here to not having that, it's that for the first time in what I can kind of assume would be like three years at least, they're going to have an honest to god quarterback competition at Michigan State, and that's really a good thing. And that's when when I talked about back in December about I think they need to go out and explore the transfer portal back before D'Antonio retired or stepped down or whatever. Um, it was because I thought they needed to heat up their competitive waters in every area on the football team. And when, you know, with a coaching transition that's going to happen anyway, so in a lot of ways that that's going to take care of itself. But the the best part, the best thing here for all those guys you know, uh, Lombardi, Day, and Thorne, and even if they brought somebody else in or even the the, the, the true freshman on the roster would be that you're going to have to now really feel what it's like to be in, a, to be in a, com- a competitive position battle where no one has an advantage. And I think sometimes we overlook the importance of how, you know, beneficial those things can be for people. Um, like I remember at, covering Michigan when Wilton Spate and um, – you know, he went through a battle with uh, Jake Rudock, and then he went through another one with John O'Corn, and then he went through a third one. And you know, I think he could have done without the third one, <laughs> but but you know, he would tell you that both of those position battles helped him turn into you know a much better quarterback than maybe he would have otherwise. And I think that the same thing could happen here for all three of these guys when you look at them on, on the surface and say someone is going to have to rise to the top and not just win this by default. That's what you would hope anyway. You would hope it, it's not somebody who's just backing in and being the guy who knows his playbook the best, and that's just what it's going to be. But, you know, that's the interesting part is is, is your, your competitive waters are going to have to heat up, and, 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 you know, we'll see, you know, who responds to that and who doesn't, so to speak. Um, as you go forward down the list here, so a couple guys I want to talk about, Colton, in, in particular. Uh, one would be Jalen Naylor, because Jalen Naylor, I think, is um, – probably their best athlete on offense if we're going to count Julian Barnett as a swing guy. Mm. Um, hasn't been able to stay healthy in either of his first two seasons. This is his third year. Uh, you know, It would be his third year coming up here, we should say. Um, I thought Jalen Naylor's presence would have changed some things last year for Michigan State, would have made some things easier. I think they still had issues that they needed to work through that eventually by the end of the year it seemed like they were starting to work through more of them. Um, but as it goes forward here, it really does feel like to me that he could just be, like I wrote, he could be a godsend for this coaching staff. I think Jalen Naylor could be a game-changing, you know, if he's healthy for 13 games or whatever, 12 games, you know, I think he could be a guy that changes the outlook in a lot of areas, you know, on offense for Michigan State. Yeah, I, th- I think you saw some of that in the pinstripe bowl. Um, mm-hmm. you know, when he was healthy enough to play in that, uh, full, give it a full go, he had like five catches and, 
like 60, 70 yards, something like that. But it was more about what he can do, the threat of having him on the field, moving him around in space, and, and being a deep threat that Michigan State didn't have. You know, with Cody White and Daryl Stewart, you know, they put up decent numbers this past year, and um, I, th- I think they're both going to get at least a couple NFL looks, but they're both more possession receivers, and MSU lacked that big play threat. The just the the element that Jalen Naylor brings to the to the offense was surely lacking last season. And I think when he came back, you saw some of that. You saw you could see what could be there um, for the, here, the upcoming season. And I think now the challenge is okay. Cody White's gone. Daryl Stewart's gone. Who's going to replace the other two starting spots along with Naylor? So the first and foremost, uh, Jalen Naylor has to stay healthy. You know, yeah, he'll be a Depending on eligibility and everything, he'll either be a you know redshirt sophomore or true junior. Um, that'll be his third season in the program. It's time for him to step up and you know put up a fifty catch season, maybe eight hundred yards, and just be a, a weapon there. And then you also have some young players like Jaden Reed and maybe a yep. Trey Mosey type that can probably try to make up some of that production that's, that they're going to miss next year. Uh, Jaden Reed is the guy that inter- is probably the most interesting one to me because we just kind of don't know. I mean, he was really, really good as a freshman in the MAC, um, really good in space, uh, really good in the slot, was a really good punt returner, and had you know put up really good numbers in an offense that likes to throw the ball and stretch it out a little bit. Um, we don't know how that's going to translate to the Big Ten. Sometimes it does, and sometimes it's just one of those things where you know a kid probably should have been in a Big Ten school and ended up at a MAC school, and that's just how it goes. Sometimes though, it doesn't. Yeah, And, you know, that's one that if it does, if it does translate, if Jaden Reed can be something close to what he was for Western Michigan or was about to be for Western, you know, does that make sense? If that can translate to the Big Ten and Jalen Naylor can stay healthy, then all of a sudden this looks quite a bit different. Yeah. And, you know, I'm working on a story for next week that's kind of going into returning production at each position and kind of breaking it from there. So when I'm going through the wide receiver production, it's like, okay, Jalen Naylor played three or four games last year, so mm-hmm. he's not factored in here. Jaden Reed, everyone I talk to says this kid is the real deal. Um, yeah. They've seen it in practice, but obviously we don't get to see that. I, I remember in fall camp, I was focusing on him a lot because I'm like, we're not going to see him again until this time next year, basically. Um, and he had the quickest feed of any receiver on the team. Like Everyone was saying that if he was eligible today, he would be a day one starter. So yeah. I think they have high expectations for him. We'll see if he can meet those or not. Obviously, he's coming from you know, probably a weaker conference compared to the Big Ten. But, you know, they see that the skill set is there and they, they, they think it can translate. So I think they're high on him. And, you know, just looking at the returning production, it's not going to be there. But based on J- getting Jalen Nato back and healthy and having Jaden Reed around this time, I think they feel pretty good about that wide receiver spot. Overall, what would you say the talent gap is? Uh, I mean, all right, let me ask this. Best case scenario for this team offensively. Oof. Like a comparison. Say, pick a team. Pick a team in the league this year. This is what um, happens when you don't have a football guy on it. I just make up <laughs> questions yeah, that are going to be impossible he, for you to he answer. He brings them out of just left field. And you have to, they're, they're thinkers, though. They are. Uh, they are good questions. So, best case scenario in comparison to this year's Big Ten. Uh, well, last. I mean, looking at last year, I like what Indiana did. Um, okay. When Indiana played Michigan State, they were spreading the ball out, getting the ball out in space, and they had big receivers that could block downfield for those guys whenever they were in space. So I like what they were doing. They would move the ball around. And um, and had plenty of success, even I know that. So yes. what do you think is the talent gap between this Michigan State team and that Indiana team? Is it I significant think, or no? I think Michigan State on paper 
It's hard to say. I, I think they, they have. I think they have, they need yeah. a quarterback for sure. Indiana had Michael Penix, who was going to be one of the best players in this league. I think. Right. Um, so I've seen Michigan State doesn't have a player like that, so that can change a lot of things. But I do like their skill positions. I think that they're young, but they're going to need to step up. Um, but they do have talent, so I, I, I'd say their skill positions are probably kind of similar. Again, they have to prove it on the field, but on paper it looks good with a guy like Jalen Naylor and Jaden Reed coming in. And I'm going to go across a couple guys here because this is the, this is the thing, Brendan. Michigan State's got a lot of guys who are like second and third year guys who could be pretty good. I mean, who could be like you know legit Big Ten football players who you know in two years we're talking about is. Like Adam Berghorst, I'm looking at his name right here. Adam Berghorst is a is a tight end slash strong side defensive end who also is a pitcher on the baseball team. This dude is 6'6", 250. He's what's drafted. he throwing? Like what's he throwing? Like ninety two or something? Like just like yeah, done in it. Low nineties, yeah. Like, like yeah, low nineties. Like well, first of all, yeah, I was like, yeah, let's just stop right there for a second because this guy is six six two fifty. He was he Michigan State signed him as a defensive end. He's athletic enough to play tight end. He's a unit of a pitcher on the baseball mound. <laughs> like these are the type of guys. So that's a guy right there that you look at him, and when they put when when Mel Tucker and everybody else and they sit down in their office and they put tape on and they put that guy's tape on, they're going to say, "Who the hell is this?" And where can we get ten more of them? Because those are the type of guys that's going to change whatever this is for Michigan State going forward. It's a guy like Adam Berghorst who. If you he's six six two fifty with the big frame, right? Colton and I have talked about this. Got the big frame, he could hold thirty more pounds. Hmm. If you wanted to make him into an edge setting defensive end who just goes over there and just knocks your tight end and tackle back and says, That's I'm not letting you get the edge, he could probably do that for you for three years. If you want to turn him into a flex tight end who can go out and run a little bit and, and be a two way guy who can play on the line, go out and make plays. We heard Jay Johnson say it today, and he's right. The tight end in that offense is a huge, a huge piece of it because he's going to be a massive part of the run game. He's going to be a big part of the, of the pass game. He's never coming off the field. The two-way tight end that they have in that offense is going to be out there in any formation, in any setting that they have. So a guy like that could do that. He could be an edge-setting defensive end. He could still pitch for the baseball team. But there's a lot of other there's there's a lot of guys or a couple guys anyway like that on this team. Uh, that have the ability to swing a little bit and be a guy like Devontae Dobbs is another one. The young, you know, he was a former five-star player, one of the more talented guys they have on the team. Devontae Dobbs could be a tackle. He could be a guard. He could play, theoretically, four spots on your offensive line. Um, Nick Samak and J.D. Duplain are those two interior young offensive linemen. Again, those are second-year players in the program um, that could play multiple spots on the interior. Um, and you've got guys like that. I feel like in a lot of places, Colton, where it's like there's a lot of guys who I think they're going to turn tape on and see a bunch of guys in like their second year and be like, maybe we just go with them because there's a pretty big, you know, bright spot. So I think for a young, if like, and we haven't gotten to the defense yet, but like Chase Klein is another one, um, you know, a guy Klein. who's a young, yeah. right, a, a young guy who's still pretty early, Michael Fletcher, a young guy who's still pretty early in his career that has a really good frame and you could do a lot of different things with him. It's going to be about who embraces change and it's going to be about who embraces, I'll do whatever you want me to do, coach. You know, that kind of thing. I think, uh, Colton, I think we would agree. They have a they have a handful of guys on this team in the younger classes that could do that for Michigan State this year and moving forward. Yeah, you know, when I did my, um, my depth chart back in January before this whole thing got flipped, turned upside down, uh, I had guys like Michael Fletcher and Adam Burkhorst mm-hmm. and some of these younger guys like higher up on my depth chart because, look, we've seen what a lot of these guys can do. You know, Matt Dotson, even right. before he went down with 
his Achilles injury, you know, he wasn't the player that MSU thought they were getting when he signed as a four-star recruit. So now I'm like, okay, let's look at a guy like Trent Gilson or Adam Burkhorst and see what they can do. Yeah. Actually, speaking of Burkhorst, you know, I remember you were like, he should be an offensive tackle like right now. He could have been. Because baseball kind of complicated that. But if he wasn't playing baseball, yeah. he has the frame that Tucker covets right. and Kapilovic covets. Um, Nick literally drives down the street, sees like everybody. a yeah. tall guy who has some <laughs> has an ass on him and is like, yo, go, go do you want to be an offensive tackle? Yeah. Well, it's so, they don't gyms. have any. He's in basketball like, courts. He looks at like some pudgy catcher. He's like, hey. Just sit on a bench in a trench coat and a hat. You <laughs> right there. <laughs> As as Colton has learned from being being around me for however long it's been now, uh, Michigan State's got like three guys on its entire roster who who are actually tackle shaped. He yeah. would drag Xavier find- Tillman off the basketball court <laughs> if he could get enough leverage. So Tillman is like one of the only guys who I would say he can stick with basketball because he's pretty good. <laughs> Wesson, nice Caleb Thomas Caleb Wesson at Ohio State. Come on now, Kithier should be a starting tight end at Michigan State right now. Well. He's got great hands. See, and great I also haven't take. done the thing with uh, with uh, Isaiah Livers. I think he should stay with basketball. I've heard a lot of people tell me that Isaiah Livers should be playing football, and I say, no, he's uh, he's super athletic. He's explosive. He can play hoops. Well, it's not everybody. It's just like most Fair. people. I would. <laughs> what do you think of Rocket Watts as a slot receiver? He'd be pretty good. I like He'd be pretty that. good. Let's make it happen. He'd be something. <laughs> uh, defensively, Colton. Um, Again, there's a lot. There's a couple of these guys. I want to talk about hybrids for a second um, because I think that they're coming uh, to Michigan State. It hasn't actually been detailed or outlined yet. This is something we probably would have talked more about if they had a spring system. But Mel Tucker's from the Nick Saban school, um, and you know he had this at Colorado. He had the Jack linebacker, and he had what he calls a star, um, which is not the same as Mark D'Antonio's star linebacker position. The, the Tucker's star linebacker would be more in tune with. Um, you know what Michigan does with with its what they call a viper, uh, so it would be the the safety slash linebacker, and then you have the defensive end slash linebacker type position. There's a couple guys that seem to fit those roles, and I don't know quite you know how it's all going to go. But you know, Colt, when you go down the list and you look at a lot of guys, one uh, there there I think there's going to be position changes for a lot of dudes, um, not maybe severe position changes, but like little tweaks. And one that pops up to me that's not necessarily a hybrid. And we talked about this a couple days ago. Um, Antoine Simmons, who we all know is probably going to be a captain, who everybody loves Antoine Simmons. He's a great kid. He plays his butt off, everything else. I think Antoine Simmons is an inside linebacker. I think he's he's a Mike linebacker. I think that if they put him and said, Antoine, we want you to be 235 pounds, and we want you to run the defense. Like, that doesn't seem like a massive – and I, this is me just speculating because we have no idea. Yeah. Are you – when what? I know he's sort of been open to anything. That's just how he is. But when you look at them from a linebacking – situation on forward where do you see Simmons maybe sort of falling because to me it's one of two spots it's not a hybrid it's either he's a weak side backer or he's the mic yeah you know when he when when Daytona was experimenting with him like late last fall when Joe Bocci was out uh he did put Simmons at at Mike for a little bit and yeah I think he was kind of up and down there he didn't seem like too comfortable there and obviously you know he didn't have a lot of time to prepare for that spot and and kind of learn that position back then but he was open to it, and he seemed kind of optimistic about locking something something down like that going forward. But now, obviously, Tucker comes in, and we don't know if they're going to run a 3-4 base or 4-3 and how he fits into that. But if it is more of a 3-4 and that, that role kind of expands for him, I think he is probably better suited to play on the inside. And you, you look at the jack position, you know, I think he's probably too small to play that and yeah, be yeah, an yeah. outside rusher and everything like that. And at the star position, uh, you know, 
It's not the same you Sargent, need, as you mentioned. Yeah. You need, that's more of a DB role. Yeah. Hybrid safety linebacker yeah. DB role. He's probably too slow to play there anyway. So I think his options are kind of limited anyway. But when you look at that Mike spot, I think he's a perfect spot. And, um, you know, he's the captain. He's going to be the captain of that defense. Yeah. He's going to tell everyone where they need to line up. So you want your smartest player playing there. And I think that's Antoine Simmons. Yeah, I think that, that that's – he's been one that was really interesting to me. We, we mentioned um, Chase Klein as a guy who I could see Chase Klein being one of those – you know, outside linebacker slash, you know, jack linebacker, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, you know, situation. And then the, and on the back end and the one guy before we get into some maybe bigger picture things. So Julian Barnett is the guy that most people have been, you know, what's going to happen with Julian Barnett? What are they going to do with Julian Barnett? Yeah. He was a receiver last year. They need somebody to be, you know, a cornerback. They need two corner. They need three. But they, they need, need a lot. One. <laughs> they need they all need, the they cornerbacks. Need to, <laughs> they need to start with one. Uh, and he was obviously a high school corner, but Julian Barnett is also like 6'2", 195. He's a long guy with legit speed, and I look at him, and I'm having a real hard time based on – now it's two two things, right? They're going to they're gonna need corners, but Julian Barnett is a hybrid defensive back. He is if, – if, if, if he was in a defensive backfield with three other corners who were holding down the spot, a 6'2 guy who can run, who's long – I mean, that's what it looks like to me. But I, I don't know. I mean, where do we think he's going to be? Where do we think he's going to end up at, Colton, uh, when it's all said and done? I know he'll just do whatever they tell him to do, obviously, or wherever. He, he doesn't care. But what what's uh, what's our kind of thought on that? Yeah, when you first mentioned that, I was kind of like, well, they desperately need corners. So I guess they do. we'll see what they, what they do with that yeah. position. And, you know, I'm looking at that corner position. I see Shakur Brown, who's had his ups and downs for sure. Uh, he kind of emerged as a starter late last year, took over for Josh Butler, on the other side, it's like if, if Barnett is playing that star hybrid position, then I guess you would put Kalen Gervin out there, and he's a smaller yeah. guy. And yeah, it would know, depend. I, yeah, I know Tucker is is he likes the bigger DBs for sure. So mm-hmm. I think I would have a hard time seeing him there full time. Um, but you know, when, the more I think about it, and the more like I kind of look at Tucker's style for that position, you know, if he was if Julian Barnett was a top sixty recruit, and if yes. he were at yes. Alabama. And the depth that they have at cornerback and in their secondary, he would probably be in you know a star position or yeah. one of those hybrid roles for sure. So I, I think the you know you want more depth if you're Michigan State, obviously, but uh, I think he'd be a good fit there for sure. Yeah, it's really interesting because Julian Barnett is probably their best NFL draft prospect right now. Yeah. If I had to put a tag on somebody, I know it's super early for him; it's only a second year. But he's probably their best NFL draft prospect in general, and I think his future is probably on the defensive side of the ball in the secondary. But I just don't know sort of where it'll land yet. Brendan, you got any like uh, wide, wider, off the wall questions? I want to talk for, about uh, writing, so we'll get to that when you. Yeah, get yeah, to yeah. That. We can do that right now. We'll oh, do that perfect. One. Yeah. So I'm curious. So Colton, for people, because the show is called the Beat, and we talk a lot about literally beat writing and the job and kind of the behind the scenes stuff that goes into a lot of this. And so this would have been your first time covering a major beat, right? Michigan State is. Yeah. So you had your first year uh, was would have been 2018 season, and your second year was this past year. Yeah. So I'm just kind of curious for folks out there who are interested in how this stuff works. Like what, what were the most eye-opening things in going from that first year just kind of figuring, right? You're, you're just – you don't want to fall on your face, right? First of all, yeah. Um, and keep up, and you feel like you should be doing everything, and then you realize that if you try to do everything, you do nothing well. Um, so, what was it from this or that year to this year, and maybe being a little bit more 
comfortable and kind of find in your voice and your way? Yeah, so I think the first year on the beat, um, you know, I was still trying to get to know the roster and the coaching right. staff and philosophies and everything like that. And, you know, that was kind of overwhelming at first just to kind of get hit the ground running right in August. And, you know, I joined in June, but nothing was happening for the first two months there. So <laughs> once August came around, it was like, all right, I'm doing something every day. This is great. It was So it was cool to kind of just jump right into it. But at the same time, it was a lot of like learning and there was that learning curve there. So I think my first year to try to supplant some of that, I was doing a lot of, you know, you know, traditional stories. So I did, I wrote stories on like the game trophies with Indiana and, um, you know, I camped out with the Spartan marching band for Sparty Watch during Michigan week. And I was trying to get into the culture of things and kind of learn more about MSU. And, you know, I wrote a story on like the bar scene out here and kind of like the different memorabilia in some of these places and carvings on the wall and all the posters and everything. So I think that first year I was really focused on trying to learn what MSU was all about um, versus year two. You know, I feel a lot more comfortable. I know all these players. I know these coaches at this point. Um, I know their tendencies. You know, when I'm doing a depth chart piece, I'm not just completely guessing. You know, I'm kind of – I know that D'Antonio favors <laughs> – Yeah, I know D'Antonio favors experience. Yeah. And, you know, he'll always take an upperclassman versus an underclassman in most, most scenarios. So it was like the little things like that that I was picking up on. And then as the season progressed, you know, it obviously wasn't a great season. They had a five-game losing streak there in the middle. So I was – I felt more comfortable using my voice and being more critical of the coaching staff and the decisions that they were making and, you know, just kind of where things were headed and why things weren't working for Michigan State. And I don't think I would have been there necessarily that first year, but by year two, I felt way more comfortable writing those types of stories and doing the big picture takeouts. And here's what went wrong, you know, looking back at different things. Like here's a look at Michigan State's 2016 recruiting class and how it's affecting them in 2019. So different things like that, that institutional knowledge came along more in year two than did in year one. And I think that'll continue in year three. What was the biggest mistake in year one that you wouldn't have made in year two? Or if you went back and did it again? We um, like when people mess up, not when people succeed. <laughs> it's kind of a theme here. We, we all do it. Every minute of every day. <laughs> Pretty much. Honestly, I think it was more, I think my a biggest mistake for me, and I was still being a young writer, first major beat is like, scheduling things out and mm-hmm. not being so dependent on, you know, the 30 minutes that we get talking to players after practice and trying to plan my whole week around that. I think it's more like, look, I can talk to someone, a former player and have that be a story this week and give myself an extra week to write this big profile and things like that. So I think it was time management and spacing things out and making sure I had enough time to write the stories I wanted to write. Now, Colton, you're also a Chicago guy, um, but you're not an old guy like Brendan and I. Um, so, what are you, you mentioned that earlier, and I always forget that you are from Chicago. What is your? What was your? Were you old enough to remember the Jordan Bulls? So my dad had season tickets in the nineties to uh, Bulls games. So I rem- I vaguely remember going to games when I was like two or three years old, and just like being okay. in awe of everything around me. So I did see Jordan in person a couple times, but uh, unfortunately, I wasn't old enough to truly like let that sink in. But I do have uh, the Ultimate Jordan DVD, a two-disc set that I've watched probably 14 times. So I know. Brandon, how does it make you feel that our pal Colton here uh, remembers being two or three years old going to see Michael Jordan and the Bulls, living in Chicago? I mean, so I, am I just guess like it's all in a park. Well, then it's just like so. Like Kobe is your Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Although, like Chicago people, have, they they would feel a certain way towards Kobe because him and and Jordan are the same player essentially. But uh, you know, I. Well, I 
you know, even Jordan's come out and said, you know, Kobe copied some money. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's true. Yeah. And things like that. Yeah, um, yeah. But I still think there's a deep respect for Kobe in, in, in Chicago and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I was born in 94. So I was kind of like mm. after the first three feet. So I was kind of right there in the middle. Um, but yeah, I was, I was pretty young during that run. Are you going to be watching that uh, 10 part? Are they going to release this 10 part Bulls documentary? I feel like now is the ESPN? perfect time. What I've are been, they doing? I have I've been no waiting idea. for that. I texted my buddy that does social for ESPN. I said, "Drop the drop the Jordan doc, you coward!" Like right but now, I don't think, yeah, I don't think like he has what? time. To, I don't or, know how much to say he has in that process. But honestly, it'd be perfect. We're all just sitting around waiting for something. Yeah. We miss sports. Or uh, try to find out a way to make it in like a twenty part deal and then drop it because Stretch I it watch out. every minute of all. Stretch of it out as long as possible for sure. I would do the same and, thing. Brandon, what do we got? You got anything else? Uh, not that I can think of. I mean, the, uh, the is is are you ready for any bold predictions for uh, next year? I don't think so. It's March 25th, and there's no sports. We don't even know if there's going to be a season, so I wouldn't ask for uh, yeah. s- <laughs> something so like sad. that. Bold predictions? Probably so not. Yeah, I saw some people Probably doing some like way too early 2020 predictions back in like January. Uh, I, I, I hesitated to use the word bold, but I think I wrote one of those. But I don't know. Things have changed in the last couple months, obviously, so. They, they have changed. Well, Colton, um, we're going to have Brendan tell you about how we leave every podcast as you are. Have you ever listened to the guest, show, Colton? The guest club here. Every now and then, yeah. Okay. Every now and again means he's never listened to it. He's never to listened to it. And if he has, he's never listened to it at the end. Because if he did, no. he would know what was coming. No. So, Colton, All right, the, take it away. at the end of every show, we ask our guest uh, to remind people of how important it is to tip your bartenders and your servers oh it's 100 percent important uh i used to work at so one of my jobs between my freshman and sophomore year of college i was working at a movie theater restaurant and you know we were making like five dollars an hour so tipping was obviously very important part mm-hmm. of that our, our salaries and our wages so uh, i always tip 20 percent, even if the service isn't great i still try to tip at least 18 to 20 percent. that's that's never going to change for me and nowadays we're all uh, at encouraging people to also make sure you grab if you're yeah. are able to uh, yeah. get one meal a week from yeah. a local restaurant that's still Colton, open. give them give them give the people uh, some places in East Lansing or Lansing there you that go. they can carry like out from. My top two favorite spots: uh, Meat Barbecue out in Lansing. It's this just tremendous place. Uh, yeah, I recommend the Double Heifer. It's a great sandwich, and then. I would say El Oasis. Uh, James mm-hmm. Edwards t- tipped me off to that place. It's a Mexican food truck here in Lansing. Uh, I think it's the best Mexican spot in town, but uh, I go there a lot. Uh, whenever James is in town, we always hit that place up. So, yeah, both those spots are great to me. I will give I got a to, shout out to Grange on Main yeah. Street. Is I think they're doing takeout. Um, okay. Great great food there. Um, highly recommended if you can grab in a – something to order at some point this week in Ann Arbor, that would be a good spot. Check it out. Yeah, and I, I would also say that a lot of those, I don't know how it's working now with like DoorDash and, um, you know, a lot of those other places. Uh, I don't know if they're still going or not, but I would check them because most of those places that we just mentioned probably have free delivery. I mean, because a lot mm-hmm. of these places are doing that as well. I did some free delivery the other day. It worked out really simple and easy. It was awesome. Um, so, yeah, make sure... You, you know, I think Brendan said last week, you know, I think he was trying to do it once a week, right? Yeah. Like just try to pick a, pick a night yep. and, and you guys get takeout and from a place that you like or whatever else. And, you know, and same with Colton and everything. And, you know, that's super important. I think that's still something that everybody can do, um, hopefully, anyway. Um, 
And yeah, that's uh, so tip tip those people as well. And if it's a DoorDash person, tip that person too because yes. that person's out there driving around. Yeah, absolutely. And be safe, so, everyone. We are thinking of yes. uh, all you uh, pr- listeners out there. We really appreciate it. Leave a review in the iTunes store. But far more importantly, stay in and stay safe. And uh, let's get through this thing. I love how Brennan just called it the iTunes store as if it's 2006. What's it, what should I say? <laughs> The Apple pod- Store? Podcast. I don't even think it exists anymore. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's a thing. <laughs> I think I think include, that's a good idea. Include this in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're we're good. That's that, that's a wrap. We're good. I was born and raised the place where